on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 161. Another wild week of NFL football. Week five in the books. So many freaking injuries, man. But we're going to try to stick to the positive. We got our usual power rankings, MVP ladder. But some baseball, too. We're in the postseason. We got some more stuff to talk about with that. Yeah, usually we do our season grades and stuff as seasons end for teams. And we haven't done that because of how things lined up with the NFL season starting. So we're getting to that today as well, too, for all the AL teams that are currently not in the playoffs right now. But we'll get started with the opener. Couple of wins for me and Skyler. The Jets got to win. The Raiders got to win. That hasn't happened since week one. We've actually both won on the same week both times. So that's kind of funny there. But um, good wins for both of us. And our star players showed out. Mad Max showed out big time for the Raiders last night on Monday Night Football. Uh, and stats wasn't anything too crazy, I'd say. I guess four tackles for loss is a lot. But one sack. But he was in Jordan Love's face all night last night. And he was making plays nonstop. And even the plays that he didn't have any statistical output on, he had a lot of impact on, whether it was forcing a pressure and incompletion or just kind of the fear that Jordan Love had and forcing him into some throws he didn't want to make. Uh, Ended up being a big night for the Raider defense, something I have not said in my lifetime, it feels like, with three interceptions, Amik Robertson with one to steal it. And how about Big Bob, Rob Spillane, having two picks in there? I know, Skyler, you're a big fan of him. So, uh, how about that? Oh, Will yeah. defense reliable? Who knows? Big night for Max, man. He was all over the place. Uh, always good to see that. You know, with the Jets' big win, kind of a, a, a turn of events for us, too, with the offense getting the job done. Obviously, there was a defensive touchdown, but I'm focusing on Brees Hall, man. They finally take the training wheels off. He can get all the touches he wants. He ends up getting 22 carries and going 177. And one long 72-yard touchdown, man. Uh, you can tell he doesn't have, you know, the 100% breakaway speed that he had last year. But I think he's had 85% right now. And it's awesome to watch. They sneak out of Denver in a very ugly game. But a win's a win in this league. It's hard to win. And Kyle mentioned it the other night. Uh, it's funny how our teams are aligned in a, such a weird AFC that our matchup later in the season might actually be something. Yeah. That'll yeah. be cool. We both kind of thought two weeks ago that this this matchup that we were going to have on on Sunday Night Football, I think in week 11, yeah. was going to be just boring to watch. And it probably will still be a terrible game, but it's going to mean something probably to the team that wins this game and, of course, loses as well, too. So uh, I guess we'll look forward to that in a few weeks from now. But right now, I guess we're still in it. Uh that's what it's all about. So moving to our AFC top five, NFC top five, and MVP top five, kind of the same thing they've done these past few weeks. Of course, the teams adjusting based off of their performance. Uh, any honorable mentions you want to talk about in the AFC before we get into the five? Yeah, the Bengals and the Colts both won, but they also have their struggles throughout the year. Obviously, Richardson going down for Indy, Cincinnati. We don't really know what's going on with Burrow, but they did look good last week. Minshew has been good this year, so they get the honorable mention. Yeah, since he stays off of my list, uh, and the Colts as well too, but since he, 
a win versus Arizona isn't going to do enough for me as far as putting them back on the list. Uh, so I'll start off my list. The number five spot going to be the Cleveland Browns coming off of a bye week. So, you know, they didn't play at all, uh, but only 60 points allowed in four games is something that you still got to talk about. Um, their defense has been amazing. Their offense looks like it slowly might be picking up over their first few games of the year. Uh, and I would still put this team in the top five, of course, for best teams in the AFC, even though it hasn't been pretty for them. That's kind of just a story in the AFC this year. Yeah, at the five spot for me, I again, I, I'm not a disbeliever in Cleveland, but the news came out today. It might be P.J. Walker next week, possibly the week after that, too. So I, I just couldn't put them there. So I have Jacksonville. Three and two, they bump up four spots in my rankings. I don't have a whole lot of faith in Jacksonville this year, but I feel like they're going to get the spot by default. Houston, Baltimore, Cleveland, Indy, they all got worse in their own ways. Uh, and maybe they can put it all together. Maybe Lawrence just had a slow start, but not a whole lot of stock in the back-to-back, uh, you know, Jacksonville going to London. They're They're pretty comfortable there. Yeah. My number four spot is going to be Jacksonville sitting at three and two. Now it's back to back ones coming overseas, I guess, if you want to call it that or over the pond. Uh, big win against the Bills is kind of the big thing. And that's why they hop up onto this list if they were to beat the Texans or, I don't know, some shitty team. Probably wouldn't have been in the five, but to get that win over the Bills and kind of the way that it happened and how their defense played really, really good, at least for the first three and a half quarters of that game. Shows that Jacksonville just had a rough start right, as the first three weeks of the season. So how they've played over these past two weeks is encouraging. Uh, and I think it's kind of a sign of more things to come in the future, especially being in a division that's very winnable. So Jacksonville's at the four spot for me. And hopefully, because I kind of like watching this team play, that they stay within the five for me this entire year. Yeah, that would be cool. Obviously, I'm a fan of a team who is historically not been in the top five but at the four spot i'm i guess sticking with history here pittsburgh jumps up five spots for me three and two it wasn't pretty don't get me wrong kyle but my tomlin's teams always seem to find a way man you know i think that this four spot says more about how disappointing the afc has been than actually pittsburgh being this dominant force but they have game records on the defense and when they do get a decent picket game a decent matt canada game Damn, they can beat Baltimore. That's what they did. A decent Matt Canada game only happens <laughs> once in a lifetime. Now. Uh, number three is going to be where I put Miami. So no change with Buffalo or Miami based off of their the win for Miami and loss for Buffalo. Uh, but Miami's offense still probably top tier in the league as of right now. Their defense is the thing that is kind of holding me off a little bit where they do – give up quite a bit of points, but it's been fine for them so far. They've still given up 135 points, which is the second most in the AFC, and they have point differential of plus 48. So it hasn't been a problem yet, but I would assume as, you know, it gets a little colder, offense doesn't stay as hot, then it might be a little bit more tough to put up those points consistently. So uh, Miami stays in the three spot. No movement for me there. Number three, I am going to drop Buffalo down a spot. Three and two. They were two last week. They're dropping down. Josh Allen's okay. He's he's fine. You know, and we we joked a little bit uh the other day about him being a fraud or whatever, but you know, it's all in good fun. Uh 
I, I think the loss of Matt Milano is a lot bigger than most people realize. He's the captain of that team. And I, I, the London games, like I said, it's not going to carry that much weight. So I'm only going to drop him one spot. But back-to-back weeks of losing their best defensive player, that's not going to be easy to overcome. Yeah. Despite the Milano loss, I'm still keeping the Bills at two. Maybe that's not saying much, but because uh, it is only week five, week six. But uh, Bills still look good. I know they lost this past week, but throughout the entire season, I think it's been a respectable outcome for them so far. Uh, losing Milano is going to be huge because he, like you said, the captain of their defense pretty much. And uh, – Makes a lot of plays for them, even the ones that don't show up in the stat sheet a ton. Uh, so rough on the Bills, but I still think that they're in a good spot at the number two spot. So I am going to bump up Miami. I feel like historically, again, I love saying that word, but I'm not as reactionary on my rankings. I'm going to do it this week, though. I'm going to flip them. I think Buffalo is going to catch them at some point. The head-to-head advantage over the past couple of years has been uh, to Buffalo, but Miami's got to get their credit. They've been putting up some ridiculous numbers and I'm going to flip them this week. Number one spot. That's going to stay the same. The Kansas city chiefs owners of the longest win streak in the AFC right now, four games. They look good. Uh, I know it hasn't been pretty, but they're winning games and that's all that matters right now. Cause usually we, at least in these past few years, Maybe not in Mahomes' first few years. These September, October months were kind of the months where, oh, are the Chiefs not going to do it? You know, are they going to fall off? Is Mahomes actually not the best quarterback in the league? And this year, they're winning those games. And so it sets up for a regular season that they should be able to win, you know, 14, 15 games in and have home field throughout the entire playoffs. And that's kind of what you want. So, Chiefs, I've don't know why you press the panic button because they're still winning games, but I'm definitely not. So put them at the one. Yeah, it's Kansas City at the top, man. I had said, uh, I think it was week one, that I thought this was the best team Mahomes had around him. We now know I was wrong. Uh, you know, the receivers Very. have been a, been a letdown. But I do think that this could be the best defense he's had. 12 quarterback hits on Kirk Cousins. If they just stay healthy, they're going to be at the top all year. Yeah, it's true. Moving to the NFC, any uh, teams that you want to talk about that aren't in the five? Yeah, the uh, the big three from the South, Atlanta, New Orleans, Tampa Bay. I personally like Atlanta. I know you like New Orleans. It's going to go down to the wire, but I don't think no matter what happens, uh, any of them will be in the top five at the end of the day. So they just get a shout out. Yeah, I, I didn't put any of those teams in here as well, too. Uh, it's just so jumbled in the yeah. South right now that I think it's very tough to put any of those teams in the top five. Number five for me, though, is going to be where I put the Cowboys. Uh, disappointing loss on Sunday night. Embarrassing loss might be a better way to describe it. And they still, you know, they're still in the top five, but it seems to be at the point where Dak won't play big in big games against good defenses. I know he had that big game last year against the Buccaneers in the playoffs, but when you break it down, that defense wasn't really anything too, too crazy. Uh, and this seems to be a consistent thing or he just can't beat the Niners and, and he can't, you know, put up any crazy numbers versus the Eagles. And those are kind of the two teams that you have to be good against. If you want to do anything in the NFC and the Cowboys haven't. So maybe, you know, maybe they float their way back up to the three spot after, you know, say a Seattle loss or somebody else losing. But uh, as of right now, they're in the five for me. 
Number five, I also got the Cowboys dropping down one more spot again, just like last week. Really ugly in Santa Clara. Dak hasn't looked great this year. But we all know Dallas is an elite team that forces a lot of turnovers. There's a reason, even though they just got destroyed, they still have one of the best point differentials in the league. Um, They're going to get the nod over the South teams, like we said. Number four for me is going to be a team that was on their bye last week. So they didn't play. It's the Seattle Seahawks. Sitting at three and one right now. This is a team I talked about them quite a bit last week when we were doing our power rankings, but they have, they're so young that they should be getting better throughout the season. And I think that's something that we will see the trend with that they probably stick around this three, four spot uh, throughout the entire year. I know it's going to be tough to get the one or two, but uh, I like Seattle a lot. So give me them up for. Yeah. Seattle at four, up a spot over Dallas. The bye week keeps them safe, of course. Just keep pounding the rock, man. They're playing in the natty on Sunday at the Bengals. I expect Seattle to compete. The young secondary looks really good. Just got to stop Jamar Chase. Uh, as we know, he's 7-11. Open all night. Well, be with uh, Reek there and maybe Devon Witherspoon. <laughs> we'll be... Uh, oh, this is a good line right here. Will 7-11 turn into Chick-fil-A not open on Sundays? How about that? Um, we'll see. I don't know about that. Yeah, uh, we'll see. But uh, it should be a fun one after this weekend between Seattle and Cincinnati. That's going to be a good matchup with those dudes. Uh, number three, though, for me, is going to be the Detroit Lions sitting at four and one. This is the first time that they've made their top five for me in the, the weeks that we've done this. This team looks really good, though. They look very complete. I didn't think it would be this way. Uh, but Jared Goff looks good. Offense is running on all cylinders right now. Sam Laporta looks to be a dog. This was without Jameer Gibbs this past week, and they still put up, what, 48 points on Carolina. And I know it's Carolina, <laughs> but 48's a lot. So uh, shout-out to the Lions. are playing the best ball that we've seen in our entire lifetime from Detroit t- Lions teams. Absolutely. And uh, I got Detroit here at three. Uh, I'm starting to realize we got the same five, which is always good. It's always good. But four and one, they've done everything we've asked of them so far. You can't complain and they haven't complained about all the injuries. Like you said, it's next man up at Tampa Bay next week will be a good test for Goff because that defense is uh, a little bit better than Carolina, of course. So uh, we just got to wait and see because, like I've been saying, not everyone can win an arrowhead. They did it this year. This could be a special team. Yeah. Number two, going to be the Eagles setting up 5-0. and I know this win over the Rams wasn't like a sexy win where you win by like 25 points and hurts as a crazy day or maybe Swift goes crazy, whatever it is. But the Rams are pretty damn good football team. And I know they're two and three right now. They didn't make our top five, but they're a very respectable team. Uh, And the Eagles kind of just had that game in hand from the first possession of the game. And to do that in another team stadium, even though, it's Lincoln Financial West or Levi's South or whatever you want to call it. The Eagles played a really good game, and that's why they stay at two. <laughs> They're not going to move down, and I don't think they can move up either. But good job by the Eagles. That's, uh, that's a good point there. It's a good spot for them, Philly at number two again. You know, the NFC this year is all about surviving week to week. Philly's questionable secondary shuts down the high-flying Rams. You know, it, it, this is a trap game, and they got it done. The San Francisco-Philly game is going to be awesome this year, but for now they're going to stay at two. Yeah. 
Number one, it's going to be a Niners. It's pretty easy there. Uh, I am looking forward to see how the Browns defense plays against this group because we've talked about the Browns defense and how good they are. I wouldn't say it's a test for the Niners going against the Browns. It's a test for the Browns to go against the Niners. And so that's what I'm looking forward for. I still expect myself to probably pull out this game just in a bit of a lowering, lower score type game. I, I don't know. It feels like a rain game. That kind of just feels like what's going to happen. It just oddly feels that way. But uh, Niners got to be number one. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, they legitimately look like a team that could push 17-0. I wouldn't bet on it because I know this team is really worried about their injuries. So they're, they're going to take rest over that 17th win, in my opinion. But Purdy's taking that next step. They beat the brakes off of Dallas. It's looking pretty good for them. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and hop into our MVP top five. Uh, and again, I'll ask the most common question ever. Any honorable yeah. mentions together? Yeah, a couple quarterbacks who will be in the top five of voting, but I don't have them just so we could talk about some other guys. Tua, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I kept those guys off my list as well. Yeah. Uh, number five for me is going to be Jared Goff. I think yeah. the Lions team is very, very complete, but what Jared Goff has done just – I guess we could see it more since he's been there longer, but what I, he's done for this offense compared to you know what some of the other guys in this offense have done i think he's really stood out to me and his ability to just sling the ball around the field and make it go is really cool so i got Goff at five right now uh maybe he could creep up a little bit as the season goes on i love what Goff is doing but i'm gonna go with my honorary defensive player here that's gonna be tj watt he drops a spot from last week, but he did have the game-winning sack against Baltimore. Um, the defensive candidate, obviously, for me here, despite Crosby and Parson doing similar things, I kind of feel like if this was baseball, he would have the highest war out of all the edge rushers. So he gets a spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he's got the highest, uh, what is that, e- wind chairs or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. what's the basketball one yeah, yeah that's it uh number four is gonna be where i put brock purdy he he's been amazing he's been as good as any quarterback in the league so far i just think his ceiling as an mvp is gonna be really tough if cmc's doing what he's doing uh so as long as cmc's doing as good as he is i don't think i'll put brock higher than probably three or four but uh brock's been amazing you can't discredit him uh, and he's done everything he's needed to do as the Niners quarterback so far through five weeks. At number four, I got Patrick Mahomes. Very good at football. Yeah. I feel like more likely than not, he's going to win this thing again. But I'm still holding out for one of these receiver running back guys. I, I don't want to give it away, but we know who they are. Uh, if they all stay healthy, have a ridiculous year, there's a shot they could take over Mahomes. So I keep it on my four for now. Number three is going to be Tyree Kill. Uh, cheap motion, everything that's going on with him, he's kind of changing the game. Currently leads the league in yards as far as receivers go, and it's probably going to stay that way if he stays healthy, especially now with Jefferson being out for a few weeks. I mean, he's he's cheating. It's kind of like what he's, he's doing of how fast he is, and he's got that different gear. He's got five touchdowns already this year, and he's part. He's the main piece in the best offense in football. 
as far as scoring goes right now. Uh, and that's why he's got to be a number three. At number three, I have Brock Purdy. Nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, the highest pass rating in football. I understand the argument against him. It's the scheme probably helping him more than not. But, you know, you can argue, too. Things are a lot easier for him than, say, Jordan Love. But then why doesn't the McVay coaching tree win? They're two and three, like you said. What about the Frank Wright coaching tree? They have all the Eagles dudes. There's three or four of them across the league as head coaches now. Why aren't those guys putting up the same numbers, the same wins, uh, like they were a couple years ago? So for that reason, I have Purdy with the edge right now. Number two, it's going to be where I put the defensive guy. Putting TJ Watt at number two right now, currently leads this NFL in sacks with eight, uh, two forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, a touchdown, seven tackles for a loss, four passes deflected. I think in order to stay relevant as a MVP candidate and a defensive player, you don't only have to be ridiculously good. You have to be very timely in your success. And that's exactly what TJ Watt has done so far in the plays that he's made at coming up at big moments uh, and plays that stand out to voters, to fans that are going to be posted on NFL's Instagram and get a million likes or something like that. Uh, because it's very tough to, you know, do something consistency throughout a game. And say, if it comes in the second quarter, it's not going to get that same type of traction. But what TJ Watt has done, I think it's very deserving of, of a two spot right now. Uh, and while, you know, there's a lot of really good defensive players on this list who, you know, rival TJ Watt for how good he actually is. I think TJ Watt and the timely success that he's had deserves to be high up on this list. Sure. Yeah, my two spots going to be Tyreek Hill, bumping up four spots from last week. I wanted to wait until I knew the shoulder injury wasn't major, and he balled out again this weekend, wide open every single play. You know, like a lot of these receivers have been saying, but he actually is. I saw a video him talking about how he's been getting wide open every single play. It, he says he has an unspoken agreement with Tua that they break off the routes early to get open, and that's fucking beautiful. You know, why doesn't everyone do that? On the number one, uh, it's CMC. He, he's got the most carries in the league, which should be interesting to see how the Niners manage that in the future and his workload. Uh, but it's still nothing too crazy, just under 20 carries a game right now. Obviously, it's a good plays in receiving game, but seven touchdowns through five games is the biggest thing uh, as far as on-the-ground touchdowns go. He's, he's been the MVP in the league, but also I know he's hurt, but shout-out Devon at HN for his 12.1 yards per carry, which is ridiculous. NFL so, record for his amount yeah. of carries. That's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, CMC is number one right now. And it shouldn't be close as long as the Niners stay on the creep. 14, 14 games in a row with a touchdown for McCaffrey. He's at the number one spot. He makes things easier for Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, the defense, everybody. You know, without Christian McCaffrey, this team is not as good. And it's kind of crazy to think about a season we thought the running back would be irrelevant. This guy has completely taken over. It's true. All right. Stepping away from football here for a little bit. <laughs> we will go into our AL team season grades. We kind of have a bit of a predetermined order based off of how I typed it up last night. Uh, so we're going to start off with 
our Oakland A's, the team that went a solid 50 and 112. How I've always done these grades, it's how I had my pre preseason notion of this team. So if you have a team that, you know, lost 100 games, I'm not automatically giving you an F because you lost 100 games. Mm-hmm. If I expected you to lose 100 games, then you're probably going to get a you know slightly below average grade. But uh, I guess that's also kind of based off of how the organization felt about their team going into the year. But uh, we'll start off with the A's. I'll, I'll stop rambling. Uh, what is your grade for our, for our squad? I'm going to give the A's a D minus. Like you said, we expected them to be terrible, so it may be harsh, but it was the worst season in franchise history. What separates it from an F, in my opinion, is that we had a lot of young guys come up and look really good. Not just okay. They looked really good. Something we didn't see last season. Gaylock, Ruiz, Butler, Miller, Boyle, they're all very promising. You know, this kind of thing has been happening with the A's every four years, and it seems like we got another great group of guys coming up. Yeah. Uh, I give it a D and uh, going into the year, I kind of expected this year to be the, the birth of the new generation of Oakland baseball. And that's kind of because I compare any year to a previous year of this age team. And I compared last year to 2015, where we just got done, you know, making the playoffs three years in a row in 2012, 13, 14. And we trade all of our guys and we kind of have that first year where there's still people there, but they know they're going to leave. You don't really have the young guys of the next regime up yet. 2016 was the year we start kind of bringing guys up. Uh, and then 2017 was Chapman, Olsen come up. And then 2018 became good. I expected this year to be a little bit of a mesh between 2016 and 17, where we start to really see more of the younger guys come up earlier than what we did last year, last time. But I yeah. didn't think we would see the results uh, and we kind of got that, except for the results were a lot worse than what I expected them to be. Good news is we found the centerpiece of this next wave, and that's Zach Galoff, because he's a stud both sides of the ball. He's got good energy as well, too, which is something that you really want to have for a guy to, to lead your team. Uh, and then besides him, we found a lot of guys have impact players like Ruiz, Noda, Rooker, Langoliers in the second half, what he showed – seem to be guys who are going to have, you know, competitive impact in the league. Uh, Lawrence Butler, Soderstrom, their breakout into the big leagues didn't really go as planned as far as production goes, but I'm not too worried about those dudes. They had flashes at their moment. Soderstrom's super, super young, so I'm not worried about him. Uh, On the pitching side of the ball, J.P. Sears and Paul Blackburn are solid four starters for a competing team. And so I think having guys like that on your roster are big. Uh, but finding those dudes to be the one, two, three, to have, you know, having JP and Paul Blackburn on your rotation be, you know, a good thing to do. Start to uh, Mason Miller and Joe Boyle and how good they will have been in the opportunities that they've been given. And Ken Waldachuk in his second half on what he did and did in limiting the walks and kind of pitching more to contact than what he did in, in these past few years uh, with our, our system and in the Yankees. Uh, other guys, Joey Estes, Luis Medina, one of them needs to step up and take a rotation spot. Besides that, not too stoked with those dudes. Uh, biggest takeaway, though, is that this team isn't close to being there yet. And I think with the guys that we have, we're not going to be 
in that area to really compete for a playoff spot and for a World Series title in a long, long time. So we need to hit on this Jacob Wilson pick, uh, which looks good in the first, you know, few months since drafting him. And we really need to hit on this year's pick, uh, whether that's the first pick, second pick, uh, whenever we get the lottery done uh, in order to make this next wave of Oakland baseball successful. Well said. That's going to be the longest one that we have, by the way, <laughs> because we are definitely so passionate about that one. But uh, moving into the Angels, uh, what's your team grade for this very interesting 73-89 and 89 team? F, you blew it. It's over. It's done. You had your shot. It's over with. It's, you're never going to have an opportunity like this again. At least Mike Trout is loyal for now. That's your one takeaway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be a playoff year for the Angels, even though they got impact from, you know, Drury, Renfro, Renfro Renifo. Taylor Young Ford, guys have Ricky been Maniac. good, to be fair. They, they have been good. Zach Nito, Nolan Chanel, Ben Joyce, when they're healthy, they're good. Uh, but they got also underwhelming seasons from Reed Detmer, Patrick Sandoval, Tyler Anderson, who they signed in the offseason. And, of course, a trout injury, Rendon injury, hurt the season a ton. But, uh, I mean, they just – they failed. Uh, and I, I put my biggest takeaway here is that they need to understand that they failed and not try to repair everything, you know, in a one year fashion, they need to rebuild in order to compete in the long term. Uh, so I give the angels an F that's the, that's the team grid. And it's simple as on to the Mariners who just missed the playoffs. They went, I believe that yeah, 88 wins and 74 losses. I'm going to give them a B minus a little high for a team that missed the playoffs because, you know, they collapsed really hard again. And we all expected this to happen, but they did win a lot of games. You know, pretty much everyone except for Teoscar Hernandez is coming back. That gives me some hope that it's a, you know, quick fix. Unlike some of the other teams we're going to talk about, this team may only need a couple band-aids. I gave the Mariners a C minus. The thing that really hurt them this year was their slow first half. They got really hot in the second half and their offense got going. Uh, but the first half was just so bad offensively. And we even saw that with Julio, who we thought to be a very sure thing going into the season, end up being a sure thing once the season ended. But the first half was rough. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, Ty France, Eugenio Suarez, these guys who are expected to have high impact. Just ended up being slightly above average for the season. Uh, Cal Raleigh, Jared Kelnick, you know, had good seasons, but they got to do better and be more consistent if they really want to make a run at, at being a you know World Series contender. The thing that they really have going for them, though, is the rotation. It's as good as anybody in the league, not, not just Castillo, Kirby, Logan Gilbert, and Robbie Ray when he comes back from injury, uh, but backing it up with Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, Emerson Hancock, guys that they have in the minor leagues as well, too, uh, is really, really intriguing for their pitching staff. And they also have a top-tier bullpen. Matt Brash, who was a failed starter and just became the nastiest guy in the entire big league as a, as a reliever. And, and Andres Minos being in the back end as well, too. Biggest takeaway, a few successful offensive pieces being away from a, a World Series contender. So that you you got to fucking do something. And I put in parentheses here, don't be afraid to trade away young pitching talent to make a splash trade offensively. Cause I think they have the you know, surplus there. They just got to make it happen. Uh, and it's very tough with, with the, you know, GM that they have now in the strategy on how he wants to do things. Yeah. 
on to the AL Central since the Rangers and the Astros are still in the playoffs. And we're talking about the Royals, who went a staggering uh, 56 and 106. The Royals are going to get a D-plus from me. It's 100 losses again, which sucks. But it's a step in the right direction. We knew they were rebuilding. You know, Bobby Wood Jr. looks like uh, he's going to be a superstar. Actually, a real one, not a fake one that we see from the teams that lose in the first round every year. Um, and a couple of trades to improve that 29th-ranked farm system. Guys like, you know, Nelson Velasquez at one point was a top 100 prospect. Let's see him have a full year in AAA. Guys like that, you know, could slowly get this moving because I think they are a little bit ahead of the ace. I, I don't think it's unfair to say that. I'm a little higher on them. D-plus compared to the D-minus of the A's. I give the Royals a D-plus. I, I, I expected this team to be bad. Uh, 106 was a bit much, but I also think that they're... Oh, we'll get into it. Uh, starting off, Bobby Witt. His ceiling is MVP. He, he's that good. He has the ability to be one of the best defensive players in the league. He has so much speed. He's hits the ball so hard. Skyler's guy's amazing but i get scared because it just reminds me of mike trout and i see the same exact thing where the generational talent is going to be wasted with this dude because kansas city can't do a fucking thing right uh besides that their second talent secondary talent isn't good enough to compete within the next three to four years uh plus their farm is lacking pasquantino melendez nick prado michael garcia are really the only future big league guys that they have on offense that can be sustainable outside of that. I'm not in love with a ton of dudes. I know Nelson Velasquez is good. He raked in his month and a half up in the big leagues, but uh, we'll see how much he can do that next year. Their pitching side of the ball isn't good either. Singer and Keller completely busted, but bucket, they got, you know, a extreme breakout of Cole Reagans who could be a Cy Young next year with how good he was. Uh, if he can handle the ace innings limit uh, or not limit the load of throwing 180 to 200 innings, I guess now it's even lower for Sions, but if he can throw innings and show the stuff that he showed this year, he can do that. Uh, but my biggest takeaway with this team is despite the encouraging breakout of Witt and Reagan's, this team is nowhere close to being a competitive franchise. And I think it's going to be that way for a long time, unfortunately. Moving on to our next AL Central team, the Detroit Tigers, who actually went 78 and 84 this year, had a good second half. Yeah, Tigers are going to get a B for me. Surprisingly high for a team that's under 500, but I was expecting another F this season. They overcame a lot. The injuries were bad, the slumps, but they made a, a, a bit of a push late. If they spend some money, they could legitimately go for the Centrals pretty open division most years and uh the guys who we thought maybe wouldn't be as good some of the top picks riley green torkelson good second halves you take that yeah i also gave the tigers a b so we match up again for the second straight team uh going into this year the vibe for me with this team is that this tigers rebuild was going to be a fail and it just wasn't going to work with the guys that they had up uh, but Torkelson and Kerry Carpenter, Riley Green, all became very valuable hitters uh, in a big league sense. Uh, and they had some league average guys who you have to have on your team if you're going to be successful. You can't, you know, 
all you can't okay you're gonna have really good players on your team but you need to have these middle tier guys to help sustain the team uh and be consistent and you can't just have you know the angels model where you have 950 ops 950 ops 600 ops you know you gotta go a bit of a smoother transition down and i think they did a good year or a good job this year of finding guys that can be like that matt beerling andy abanez jake rogers who I get the job done for them. Uh, I like their young rotation. Uh, Reese Olsen pitched well. Matt Manning pitched well. Tariq Skubal was good when he's on the mound. I hope to God we get to see Casey Mize pitch again because yeah. he's fun to watch. But uh, we didn't get to see that, unfortunately, this year. Eduardo Rodriguez, really good, but probably gone. So they can roll him out. Uh, their farm system's interesting. I think... There's a few dudes that kind of broke out in their farm system this year, Colt Keith and Jace Jung. Uh, but Justin Henry Malloy and Parker Meadows are also going to have to come up. And I know Parker Meadows, they come up at the end of the season. Uh, but they need to be good in order for this rebuild to really take form and, and win some games. And I'm not the biggest believer in those dudes, but I think it's possible for them. Uh, so my biggest takeaway just the outlook on the entire year. It's a huge improvement in trajectory from 365 days ago. I think that's why the Tigers get a B. Next uh, team in the AL Central. This team lost 101 games. The Chicago White Sox. Second F. Second F. Uh huh. Yeah, that's an F. Uh, really wanted to give them an F minus, but I didn't give it to the Angels, so I'm not going to give it to them. Uh, man, what a disappointing season, man. The entire team underperformed. You know, even the guys they got rid of put together something at the end of the season like Lance Lynn you know manager coming back is questionable but hey at least the baseball operations have finally changed new GM Chris Getz a former White Sox player he was there the last time they had a truly great season so uh maybe this can get things rolling in the right direction but they're in for a a long rebuild yeah it's a uh them and the Angels are two teams that I think in the league that really have zero identity and also with the White Sox, they have zero morale. Uh, the clubhouse was lost last year. How you keep your manager after losing the clubhouse, I don't know. But it's very White Sox and they keep them on board. Uh, the Benatendi signing looks like a fall on its face in the first year of it, of the five-year deal. Uh, the guys who they had come up for this you know, current regime that were supposed to be good, like Andrew Vaughn and Johan Lankata, or just league average guys, which, you know, I don't know if you call them a bust or anything like that, but they haven't been satisfactory as far as what we had expectations for them coming into their careers. Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandol have fallen off a cliff. They aren't impact players anymore, and they hurt the team more than they help them. If you're going to talk about a good side offensively, talk about Louis Bob, because this dude's a stud. He's really, really good. Uh, and I think he's probably going to get out of Chicago in the next year or two because they can get a ton back for him in the trade. Uh, pitching staff, it was a down year for everybody. Cease didn't look good. Clevenger actually looked decent, but some of the other guys throughout there, Lance Lynn, Giolito, I know those guys were gone, but they did not look good throughout the entire year for them. They traded away Jake Berger, which I thought was a shitty move because mm-hmm. he is a young guy who has actually a good amount of potential than what, I felt like the, you know, national perception of him was, 
However, I think they did a good job in getting the prospects back. Andrew Guerrero, Jake Eater, Kai Bush, Nick Nastriani, who they got back for uh, or Nastrini, who they got back for Lance Lynn is a stud. Uh, but the biggest takeaway: this team wasn't close, and they won't be close for a while. Uh, and I think they definitely need to rebuild, just like the Angels. Hopefully, they their front office sees that. Next up in the Central, last team that we got here for them. In the central, that is uh, the Cleveland Guardians, who went seventy-six and eighty-six. How about that? Yeah, they're going to get a C minus. It's always tough when your top three starters get hurt. That's never ideal. But the lineup's not good. They need some retooling. You can't just have uh, J Ram and the and the brothers doing everything. You know, um, Brancona retired, obviously, but he was going to get pushed out either way, which is unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, it's a wide-open division usually. Like I said about the Kansas City, Bieber and McKenzie, they came back at the end of the year, so we know they're going to have a full off-season of treatment and all that. Um, so things are looking a little better, I guess, than than they were feeling during the season. Yeah. Uh, Guardians also got a C-minus for me. So that's four straight teams that we have the exact same grade for. Uh, and I actually wrote down a lot of similar things that you did. Uh, not a ton of offensive upside besides J-Ram and the Naylor brothers. So without those three dudes, it's pretty tough. I know Jimenez and, and Quan were guys who were really good last year, but they have a, had a very, I don't know, the, the baseball nerds, it's a very predictable statistical regression that they had this year based off of their exit kilos and kind of how they – hit the ball last year it was it was expected that they were going to have regression maybe not to this you know point that they did but we knew that they wouldn't be as good as they were last year they're pitching upside though off the charts Bobby, logan allen shane bieber gavin williams tristan mckenzie daniel espino those last two dudes please stay healthy because or last or all those dudes but you know mainly mckenzie and espino who didn't pitch this year Please stay healthy, man, because those two dudes are going to be, you know, mainstays for Cleveland if they want to compete in the Central in the future. Uh, and I just I said, just like Seattle, don't be afraid to trade depth for star power. And uh, I think more so for Cleveland than Seattle. And I'll talk about this more when we get to the Rays. When you have a team that doesn't have a ton of financial funds in the way that you, know, you can't be spending $200 million. You have to be an aggressive GM. You have to make plays that are risky, but can pan out really well for you. And we've seen some of those plays work really well for the Rays. Like, I mean, it was pretty sick by the, the Pirates, but the, you know, Meadows and Glasnow for Chris Archer, trades like that, that you just got to go for. And maybe they, you know, you give up somebody good, but you got to be able to do them. And if Cleveland wants to compete, they got to do that because I think the Twins have set up themselves up to be the long lasting upper hand in the AL central, unless we see some drastic change with them. So that's my takeaway thumb. Be aggressive. Find a guy that can really, you know, partner with J Ram and be a, a really good piece in, in Cleveland. So C minus for the guardians, disappointing year, but it could be good. Uh, if you stay healthy on to the Yankees, went one, two games over 500, 80 and 82. Uh, what do you got here? I got a D for the Yankees. Um, maybe harsh, but I'll just read this quote from the USA Today after the Yankees' 162nd game. They were able to retain Judge 
but the lineup was left paper thin while the rotation also in shambles. I don't trust Brian Cashman, man. I like how Volpe finished strong. Maybe the C-tier bats they target in the offseason will actually come through for them. <laughs> and the pitching can't possibly be any worse, right? Uh, I give the Yankees a C. And I know that you know might be a bit light on them, uh, especially with how the Yankee fans expected them to be. But if you expected this team to be good this year and win 100 games, you're delusional. Because this offense was never going to produce with Franchi Cordero and Jake Bowers you know, playing consistent and Billy McKinney playing consistent games for them. That was never going to happen. They didn't really have any move. You know, they got a guy hurt that was going to, you know, not have those guys be projected as opening day guys for them. Uh, Judge was hurt a ton and a ton of pitching injuries that obviously just made matters worse. Uh, Garrett Cole, Cy Young, great job. I assume that he's probably going to win that award Mm -hmm. next week or so. Uh, but it got offset by Carlos Rodon just being the worst pitcher of all time. Uh, their young talent, Volpe, Jason Dominguez, Oswald Peraza, Austin, or yeah, Austin Wells, Everson Perea. Those guys should be impact players. Uh, and we'll see how, you know, Dominguez heals up and how he comes back next year. I had my biggest takeaway is it's a great offseason to show that you are the New York Yankees, you know. Down years should lead to a big splash in the winter time, and that's how the Yankees have responded in previous years that they've had down years. So go out there, trade for one Soto, sign Shohei, and you know both those moves probably don't happen. But you have to make a splash deal if you're Brian Cashman, if you want to keep your job for one, and if you want to compete in a ridiculously competitive AL East. So see, huh. average. On to the Red Sox. The Red Sox will get the C for me, a little higher than the Yankees. I feel like their expectations were a little lower. You know, they got the injury bug. They fired Bloom, ugly finish, but they found some diamonds in the rough. You know, Cutter Crawford, Yoshida, Tristan Cassis, Brian Bello, th- those are blue chippers. And the Red Sox have been lacking that for about six years now. Um, maybe it was Bloom's fault. I was okay with him, but now we'll really see what the deal is. This is another team that could definitely go, go buy some more bats. Yeah. Uh, the Red Sox, they gave a B 78 and 84. I, my expectations weren't super high for this team. I don't think they work for anybody outside of Boston. Uh, and they had, they got a couple big time stars and Rafael Devers. And, and I think Tristan Cassis as well, too, is going to be a ridiculous stud in this league. They got veteran contributions from Justin Turner, Adam Duvall, Masataka Yoshida, Jaron Duran, Sedan Rafaela are young guys who are going to, or I guess Yoshida's not super young, but they're going to be guys who play big roles in the future for Boston if they want to do something. The story season, I know he came back halfway through or near near the end, honestly, uh, and his return was very underwhelming, but that's not the worst thing. You kind of expected that with the guy who's coming back from such a big injury. Uh, the rotation is... I don't know how to describe it. it it's, it's very mid group in the way that they don't really have an ace. Bello was good in stretches, but not consistent. Pavetta kind of same thing. Sale can't stay healthy. Tanner hook has nasty stuff, but it just doesn't form out a lot. And James Paxson's really old. So they have a whole bunch of three, four starters I'd say right now. 
their form isn't crazy, but the insertion of Marcelo Mayer and the progression of their young guys should lead to probably an 85 win team or so. Uh, but my biggest takeaway is that our Tristan Cassis, Rafael Devers, and Marcelo, Marcelo Mayer enough for you to be comfortable about your future. Uh, if so, buy into those dudes, put guys around them. And if not, just put guys around them regardless. So, uh, <laughs> I don't think this free agency really suits their needs too well based off of how their team is formed right now and kind of the age of a lot of guys going into free agency. Uh, and the trade also wouldn't be the best idea. So I think they're kind of in a stuck spot this offseason. But uh, in total, I think Boston had, had a better year than what I expected. So I give them a B. That's fair. They're kind of just stuck, though. The Toronto Blue Jays who went 89 and 73 made the playoffs and uh, already out of it. Yeah. They're going to get a B minus from me. Uh, First round exit again. The Alec Manoa collapse was one of the craziest things I saw this entire season. Big money bats, disappointing. It's such an odd situation, man. I mean, the Maddie chapstick trade has been a big W given that. And, And it's more likely than not, Lad Springer, those guys will be back strong next season. I just kind of thought they'd have it figured out by now, and they don't. Yeah, I gave the Blue Jays a D. That I might be a bit harsh, but I believe in that because it always seems to be going into this year that hey, the Blue Jays might break out this year. You know, they might come out of nowhere, win a hundred, win a hundred games, and win the division or something like that. And it's been three or four years now, and they just haven't done it. They aren't you know, the super young team that they are or that they were a few years ago. This year, they got good production from Bo, Brandon Bell, and even Vladdy. And I know Vladdy's numbers weren't crazy, but he had one of the most statistical anomaly seasons that we've seen in a long time where he's hit the ball harder than any year that he's had, but mm-hmm. it was a lot worse, even though he was hitting the ball higher in there as well, too. So I expect Vladdy to be fine, but I still think he was good. Uh, but sh- they struggled really to get consistent production from a lot of their guys. Springer, Chapman was so up and so down. What Merrifield, our show wasn't consistent. Kevin Kiermeyer, he was he was all right. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, Kevin Vizio, they just didn't get the consistent production from the guys that we kind of counted on for them going into the season. And that, that's what hurt them because it wasn't the rotation. It's as deep as any team in the league going up there with the Mariners as far as Bassett, Barrios, Kikuchi, Gosman, Ryu. Uh, I put Alec Manoa question mark because maybe he could be back next year, but he was obviously had a very weird year. Uh, and my biggest takeaway from him is that maybe the breakout will never come. And this turns into a wasted era of talent for Toronto. Maybe they have to trade Vladdy. That would not go over well there. Maybe they trade Bo. Uh, we talked, or I talked about already a couple teams that could use a guy like that and that can make a splash. And can you imagine if Vladimir Guerrero goes to the Mariners this offseason? How about that? Nope. I couldn't I either. So that was the first time I just mentioned <laughs> it. But uh, that would suck. If I were to predict like a crazy bold prediction, that, that could be it. Uh, moving on last team that we got to talk about is Tampa Bay Rays 99 game winners in the regular season but couldn't win the division so they get bounced in the first round of the wild card uh, when they host the Rangers and 
What do you got for the Rays? Maybe an unpopular opinion here, but I'm going to give them an A minus to win 99 games after losing three of the best pitchers in baseball and your MVP candidate star shortstop is, is pretty remarkable. I would give Tampa Bay some time. This is a massive shakeup for the organization and get them a new ballpark too. And they'll be back in a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I gave, I said it's a, you know, playoff disappointment, but we expected it after McClanahan getting hurt, Jeffrey Springs getting hurt, Andrew Rasmussen getting hurt. And I think I even put out a tweet in like May or June. And I said, I would be ready to give the Rays the World Series trophy right now if their pitching was healthy. And I think I still would be because if you have everybody healthy, this team should do it. And obviously there's the wander part of that as well too, but uh, we'll kind of skip past that as we don't even talk about it, but, uh, or uh, never again, but uh, well, the regular season was a big time success. And I think the Rays have mastered the art of winning regular season games uh, where they have just so many dudes who are above average on their offensive side of the ball, whether that's the Andy Diaz, Randy Rosarena, Josh Lau, Harold Ramirez, Isaac Paredes, Luke Rayleigh, Jose Siri. They're all good players. Uh, and I know Yandy and probably Josh Lau, Isaac Paredes probably stand out the most as far as production this year. But none of those dudes are super, super crazy. Yandy is, but, you know, you just have a whole bunch of – good players around it. It's a very good recipe for, you know, regular season success, but it's tough to win when you don't have those two or three years that carry you into playoffs. And that's kind of how things go. And I know Randy did a couple years ago, but it's really tough uh, to do it consistently. So I don't even it's know. Sad. Yeah, it is sad what's going on with them. They're again, pitching was good. Touch Bradley kind of disappointment, but hopefully he gets things together. Uh, my biggest takeaway, this team can't win a World Series unless they change their ways. And that's kind of how they are now at this point. You can't win a World Series of Moneyball until it gets done. And it hasn't been done in the, the years that the, it's been. Until we get a salary so. cap in MLB. Then it won't be Moneyball. It's just the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's going to do it for our AL team grades of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams. We'll do probably eleven more next week in the NL. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the second half. Yeah, second half, we got some more football stuff, NFL injuries, college, and then we'll do our bets and get out of here. We'll start off with the NFL injuries. It was a rough week, some major injuries. We mentioned Matt Milano, the Bills linebacker. It's a fractured leg. That's going to be for the season. Maybe some more time, too, and uh, that's the captain. Like we said, that's a tough one. The next one, Anthony Richardson, the Colts quarterback. He's got the shoulder sprain. That's a four-week IR minimum, and uh, really unfortunate for the Colts because they looked like they were onto something. They're still 3-2, and two, and it, it'd be nice to get this guy back, but you also don't want to ruin your future. So I could see a situation where they keep him on IR this season. Another guy who won't stay on IR is Justin Jefferson. Just got put on there with the hamstring. Just a four-weeker, though. Really tough situation for Minnesota. Makes you wonder if they're going to start trading people and just straight-up extend Jettis right now so they don't have to worry about it. James Conner, running back from the Cardinals, member of one of my fantasy teams. He's going on the four-week, too, with the knee. 
unfortunate. They have uh, not Demarco. Who's the guy that's that's replacing him? Amari Demarcado. Demarcado. There we go. So that's that's an ad for you in fantasy. Other than that, Arizona's offense is going to be a little bit worse in the red zone. They already weren't good. Devon Achan, though. Achan, excuse me. That's what he wants to be called. The Dolphins running back, though. He's got a knee injury, and he's going to miss multiple weeks. This is a major one. You know, it uh, really makes you think this is probably why the Lions grabbed Jameer Gibbs so early is because everyone kind of knew Achan is only a 10-touch-a-game guy. That could be why he fell out of the first round. And you see he's already hurt here. That's that's not good. That's not what we like to see. Ah, the Jets, right tackle. Elijah Vera Tucker tore the Achilles. It's the season. This one was crazy, man. You know, I'm watching this game. He gets slammed awkwardly. He comes back in, plays three more plays. And on that third play, he got burnt really badly by Nick Benito of the Broncos. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then you see him limp his way to the locker room. You're like, ah, he played four snaps on a torn Achilles. Only got burnt once. (laughs) That's pretty nuts, man. But this is really disappointing. Uh, The Jets already met with uh, Lyle Collins. They're going to pick up another guy. They they have to if they want to compete. And the last one here, we got Daniel Jones, the quarterback of the Giants, re-aggravated the neck because he gets slammed every single drop back, dude. So he's questionable. And again, this is one of those situations that could... Make the Giants not tank. You know the teams don't tank. It's it's upstairs that's worried about the tanking. But uh, maybe a, a, another extra couple tie rod games than we're used to. Just because you don't want to turn this into a Peyton Manning situation where you're going to miss two entire years with the neck. Yeah. Those are what I have as the major NFL injuries. Much more. It's, it's a dangerous game, of course. But these are the headliners, in my opinion. So... Got a couple college football matchups for next week I want to talk about. We'll start off with number 10 USC at number 21 Notre Dame. It's a big test for Caleb Williams this week against a great Marcus Freeman defense. Notre Dame's playoff hopes pretty much over with two losses and no conference championship game to play. But they can play spoiler and uh, try to keep everyone's jobs there (laughs) in Notre Dame. They look terrible at Louisville, the offense at least. So I'm leaning towards USC here. Next game game of the week number eight Oregon at number seven Washington big playoff implications two of the best offenses in college football Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. battling it out keeping the the Heisman hopes alive here and I got the Huskies in the game of the week at home but this one could go either way and the last one I want to mention number 25 Miami how are they still ranked that is ridiculous this is why we don't trust the AP Uh, but they're at number 12 North Carolina And although Miami had the major choke against Georgia Tech because they wouldn't kneel the ball for some reason, uh, this is going to be one of the bigger tests for Drake May this season. So if anyone out there is curious about Drake May, who is this guy? Where is he going? He's going to get drafted in the top five. So tune into this one for a little bit. Those are my notables there. I got a quick Heisman watch, keeping it simple because there hasn't been real movement. I like the top three Pac-12 quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix. And I think Brock Bowers, tight end of Georgia, has played his way up, possibly. And it sucks to say this, but we're just waiting for one of them to have a really bad game because it's been close this year. So that's all I got. I don't really have a ranking. Probably Caleb Williams. He's looked the best so far. But Pac-12, baby, they've been on fire. And that's going to be my second half. Moving on. 
feels like I haven't talked in five minutes. Uh, <laughs> let you kept on going there, but then do our layups and bowl predictions and we can get on out of here. Uh, rough one this past week. I had Milwaukee going to the NLDS. They got swept. Skyler has number 13 Washington plus three and a half at UCLA. Lost by a touchdown. That did not happen, unfortunately. This week, though, the Detroit Lions minus three versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm taking the Detroit Lions minus three. Uh, I think they should be showing their positional advantage all over the field in that game. I'm sticking with my college football here for the layup. I got number four Florida State covering 17 and a half points at home against Syracuse. Syracuse is not a bad team. They're four and two. You could argue that it's unfair to pick this, but they also just lost 40 to seven to North Carolina and North Carolina is a much worse team than Florida State. Moving into bold predictions. I had the twins making the world series last week. They're still alive. Uh, They got to win two in a row versus Houston against Jordan Alvarez, who has four homers in three games. But, uh, as of right now, it's purple. I, I didn't put a purple. Skyler did. Yep. Hopefully it stays purple for a couple more weeks because uh, I need it to happen. Uh, moving on, Skyler. You had the Jets over the Broncos. Yeah. Nathaniel Hackett legacy game. You got the job done, man. Congratulations. Thank you. So, uh, shout out to the Jets getting their W. This week, I have the Chicago Bears. Money line over the Minnesota Vikings. I know it's nothing crazy as far as, you know, like a plus 170 or something. It's only plus 120 right now. Uh, but as long as I see the plus, that's bold to me. Uh, without Justin Jefferson, Chicago should be able to keep up. I don't think we've ever seen a Kirk Cousins sled offense in Minnesota over these past few years without Justin Jefferson. So it should be yeah. intriguing to see how they – play that obviously also have no Dalvin Cook and I mean you know how Dalvin Cook is now but regardless Chicago Moneyline I am sticking with a pick I talked about earlier USC over Notre Dame that game's going to be in South Bend Indiana but I still don't care you know all all the uh, advanced ESPN metrics they have their own rankings it's kind of like the BCS people will refer to it because we don't trust the AP they love Notre Dame because of their great defense but you know what? They only scored 20 points against Louisville, and USC scores about 45 points a game. I think it's completely unfair to, you know, when I, I first put this down here, Notre Dame was a four-and-a-half-point favorite. It's down to two-and-a-half after a couple hours, which is interesting, but uh, I'm still taking USC. Uh, they're going to get the job done. Caleb Williams is is great, and Notre Dame has kind of fallen apart these past couple weeks. That's going to do it for episode 161. <sighs> Next week, episode 162, man. That's crazy. We did a full MLB season of episodes. (laughs) But uh, next week, I think probably the same thing football-wise. Maybe um, baseball-wise. I know we're going to do team grades. We should be within a game or two of the ALDS and LDS games. So those series have started at that point. Basketball. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we have a slight not full in depth. You don't have the time for that. Mm-hmm. But uh maybe a slight 
you know, preview of what's going on there. Uh, hockey started tonight, Skyler. Shout out to all the hockey dudes out there. Yeah. All the Canadians. Uh, that's all I got, man. Anything else you want to add? This has been a crazy couple of weeks of sports, and I'm happy that we get to talk about it every night because yeah. this is awesome. And we're going to be back next week. Maybe uh, we'll have a new front runner for the MVP. Ooh, you never maybe. know. In the bizarro world, the NFL. And NFL. And NFL. But we'll see you guys Great next series. week. Go Jets, man.